it's not really a fundraiser because if the sole purpose of Feast was to just donate to charity, we probably wouldn't fly in 4D media. We probably wouldn't bring in, you know, so I would say like what we try to do is like there's just there's like several things we do. One thing is we celebrate all the things that make Portland and Oregon really cool. And in doing that, you know, we invite people from around the country because, you know, we want them to love this place too and, and one of the greatest pieces of gratification is to go into restaurants around the country the people we've invited to feast and see the fact that they have Oregon wines on their list or they're using Oregon beef or they're using we love that from the studios of kink radio it's the Portland 50 a podcast series about the people who dreamt built and championed the innovation growth and uniqueness of Portland the Portland 50 series is brought to you by Jaguar Land River Portland one company two iconic brands. Jaguar Land River Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution serving our community since 1950. I'm your host, Peggy LaPointe. Today, I talk with Mike Thielen. Mike is a former food writer and contributor to Willamette Week and Portland Monthly. In 2012, he co-founded Feast Portland with his partner, Carrie Welch. Now approaching its eighth year, Feast Portland frequently sells out and is one of Portland's most popular events. I've always been in food, I just didn't really know it, and I didn't know you could make a career out of it. So I think for a lot of people, I mean, this may seem like very basic info now, but I think there wasn't wasn't so long ago where when people thought if they were interested in food, they'd, they'd become a chef, or maybe they'd own a restaurant. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, so I was always interested and obsessed with food and restaurants when I was in high school. Like, I used to, like, you know, drive to Portland on the weekends and go eat at restaurants. And, you know, I, I, I was obsessed with restaurants. I worked in restaurants in college. And then in my 20s, um, I worked other jobs. You know, I had a degree in journalism from U of O. And, you know, I worked in San Francisco as a tech journalist. I actually worked for Tech TV, which was one of Paul Allen's companies. So yeah. rest in peace, Paul Allen. Yeah. Um, and, you know, worked in Washington, D.C. in a government relations position for uh, Martian McLennan. And I was always kind of found myself my whole career as being a young guy who somehow could stumble into positions that I totally wasn't qualified for. <laughs> and, and you know, but but also never really felt at home in any office environment. I always kind of knew that I wanted to do something else. And I always, you know, so fast forward, uh, I was 26 years old, moved back to Portland, worked in a restaurant at night, and then by day was, was a commercial real estate appraiser. And after about a year of that, uh, we quit our jobs, sold our house that we had just bought and moved to Spain and basically taught English in Spain and Hmm. came back, uh, was about, I can't remember if I was 30 or about to turn 30. I was 30 and I was like, oh my God, I I need to get real now. What what do I do? (laughs) And I thought, okay, I'm going to apply to grad school, you know, um, and as I did that, I reached out to Willamette Week and I said, you know, hey, I'll, I, would, I would love to write about food. I'll work for free. And it turns out Kelly Clark, who's now the editor-in-chief of Portland Monthly, was the culture editor of Willamette Week. She said, hey, we're looking for an intern who can write about food. So I became a 30-year-old intern at Willamette Week and, you know, worked hard. And after a couple months, they offered me a column and did that for a year and then you know, concurrent to that, I, I guess I found out pretty quickly that, you know, writing about food was incredible because you know, Willamette Week, anyone would take your call. And I think that's still the case with them. You know, everyone's kind of likes Willamette Week, but they're also kind of afraid of Willamette right. Week. So, you know, you know, I interviewed you know, Nigel earlier for okay, this series. Yeah, so you yeah. don't ignore Willamette Week, <laughs> you know, so 
I use that. It was just an awesome opportunity in doing that. I learned, I met a lot of, you know, people who did a lot of things in food that wasn't just writing. Yeah. And I stayed writing and, and also learned that, you know, food writing is challenging in the market the size of Portland. It's challenging anywhere now. But uh, learned that, you know, I needed to do other things besides writing in order to, like, you know, have a livelihood in Portland. Yeah. And so I started consulting on events. And it turned out that, um, I was really good at it, and I was really good at the business side, development side of, of of things. And I understood like how do you, you know, bring together partners? How do you make things work programmatically? I also learned early on that if you want to do an event, and you want to do cool things, that you can't do anything unless you learn how to pay for it. Yeah. So it's 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 like a a writer who starts a magazine learns quickly that they need to sell advertising, otherwise, you know you know, pretty words uh, will only get so far if you don't have the money to print them. So um, I, I guess, you know, so by understanding partnership strategy, I started working with a lot of big brands. I, I You know, people, when you're able to bring in uh, funding, word travels fast. So, you know, after a while, people started reaching out to me and I found myself working and doing, you know, business development for the International Association of Culinary Professionals. I was overseeing branding and, and, and uh, you know, sponsorship development for the largest food and wine festival in Texas. I was working with brands like Whole Foods nationwide. Mm-hmm. And then I, at that point, I was still writing a little bit, but I uh, was on television, on Cooking Channel and Food Network. And, you know, just based on a lot of luck and a lot of good timing and a lot of hustling, um, was able to build a national platform um, in food living here in Portland. And, you know, there's a lot of people that have been able to do that, which Portland's a great place for that. It's it's uh, one of those, you know, food is, Portland's a real player in food. So yeah. there's actually a lot of people here who, who have a national presence. So I'm very lucky uh, and, and, you know, definitely hustled. And then, you know, Feast sort of came about as the next chapter. It was sort of a desire to, you know, my part in it at least was a desire to want to do something that was of a national scope that was all about Portland, all about mm-hmm. Oregon. And feeling that, you know, festivals were a great way of doing that. When I would travel around the country and in festivals, I would learn that, you know, like I'd run into people like Allison Sokol Blosser, or I'd run into Naomi Pomeroy, or I would run into different people at these events and wonder why the hell don't we have an event in Portland? You know, we are the city that that is the birthplace of James Beard, which we don't capitalize on enough. And we are also, you know, a place that has incredible wine, incredible beer, incredible spirits. Um, You know, we're sort of a spiritual homeland for American gastronomy, if you will. Like, you know, things like microbrewing, which are now ubiquitous and everywhere. The Widmer brothers and the the Ponzi family and some of those folks, they were doing that 40 years ago. Um, And, you know, uh, farm to table was something that anyone who grew up in Oregon like I did, you know, like, it's so funny to me that, you know, people go pick blueberries for fun because I'm like, my God, I had to do that when I was a kid and I hated it. Um, you know, but it's just such a part of who we are that we just felt, you know, creating a, a signature food and wine festival, food and drink festival in Portland was kind of a no brainer. And luckily, um, you know, the right people came together and, and it was the right, as with anything, it's the right time. Yeah. And Oregon is unique that way in, in that it has the fertile ground. Yep. Uh, for growing just about anything, uh, including, you know, the grapes. And so we have all these, we have these fantastic wineries and we have these fantastic growers. And so, yeah, I think having Portland be certainly a food-based area makes perfect sense because it's all here. Mm -hmm. You certainly took a 
Not a straight shot. <laughs> yeah. Very much so. Uh, you were you didn't mention that you were also um, you also wrote for the Portland Monthly, yeah, the I restaurant yeah. columnist. But I, I I would think that all of your experience in San Francisco and in Washington all came together towards you know having that consulting business, Bolted uh, Services. Did yeah. you found that? I did, but yeah. I think it's fair to say Bolted Services was a business I formed in 2009, which mm-hmm. was you know my consulting business. And now as Feast, the entity has grown, we have our own consulting yeah. business. So most of what I do is now through that entity and Bolted Services like really- Bolted. Barely, it barely exists anymore <laughs> just because we've we've become victims of our own success. I yeah. mean, we- you know, as of recently, you know, Feast, when we started it, we had really good advice from the get-go. And, you know, Darius Hartwell, who's our attorney, he actually in this building at Schwabe, Williamson mm-hmm. & Wyatt, who's a great foodie and board of the For- Portland Farmers Market. And, you know, he uh, said to me early on, he said, okay, you know, when we, Carrie Walsh, my partner, and I went to him and said we wanted to start a festival, he said, uh, made a lot of advice. He said, don't, don't confine yourself in setting this up to dis- to, to basically – hamstrung you down the road to do additional things. He's like, I know you guys, you're really smart, you're really connected, um, and you guys know how to do this. You know, Carrie had an incredible career. She was head of PR at Food Network, and, you know, she knew how to market festivals. So, you know, we were, and her wife, Jannie, was was kind of knew how to do everything in between from, you know, HR compliance to um, building a website. So we had this dream team, and he, he was able to say to us, like, don't just think about this as a festival. He's like, a certain time down the road, you guys might want to take the team that created Feast and do more. Mm-hmm. And we didn't really think about that. I think at the time it was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And now here we are. I think, you know, a year ago we started, you know, not through Feast, but through uh, this other entity, we started doing bigger projects. And our first thing we did was we helped our friends launch a food and wine festival in Austin, Texas called Hot Luck. Our friend Aaron Franklin from Franklin Barbecue. Mm-hmm. Um, second thing we have did was help do some out-of-market events with the Oregon Wine Board. And then now our, our sort of big project is we're consulting with uh, Visit Seattle on Taste Washington. So, you know, our goal is Feast is our flagship. It's what we do. But our consulting projects that, you know, have just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and now require an entire team. <laughs> so for us, it's really fun. I feel that in Oregon, there's a real ethos. Um, you know, people will ask like, well, what's exportable and what sort of knowledge is exportable in, in, in Portland? And I think it's the, you know, what we do well here and who we are as a city is where, where yes, we make things by hand, but I feel like Oregon is quality of life personified. You know, if you look back Randy Gragg wrote this story years ago that resonated with me before I knew Randy and before he became one of my mentors, um, which said that, you know, Seattle and San Francisco were boom towns. People went there in their boom time looking for gold. And, you know, in Oregon, people came, you know, homesteaders came looking for, as he said, Eden. Now, there was a time in Oregon, Portland was a big boom town, a big lumber boom town. If you read James Beard's early writings like um, – you know, some of the things he wrote about Portland, he would describe how wealthy it was. And it was a town of timber barons and shipping barons, barons, but it didn't have that gold rush. And and as a result, historically, it doesn't have a gold rush mentality. People come here um, because of the neighborhoods. You know, there are not big tourist attractions. People come here to hang out on Belmont Street. They come here to go walk around. They come here to just smell roses. I mean, people come here to smell freaking roses. Think about that. <laughs> That's why they come here. So yeah. what's exporting? And to read books. Right. And exactly. And, and, you know, so what's exportable in Portland? I feel like we're, whether it's green building, whether it's, um, you know, sustainable 
agriculture, whether it's we are really good at setting an example of how people should should live, how we structure neighborhoods. Um, there's a lot of things we could do better, mm-hmm. but um, the so that goes back to you know what are we exporting through our consulting? Is I, I think we're encouraging people to look locally through a, a lens, um, through a local lens, to really understand you know what place means and what does a festival look like if it's in a certain place, not using a Portland, Oregon lens, but, you know, a Vancouver, BC lens or an Austin lens and how we all benefit if we really think about local, not from some twee, you know, overly precious mentality, but like truly understanding that, you know, place really does matter. And and we love places like Austin or we love Pendleton Mm -hmm. because they have so much personality. Right. And was this... Was this idea, you know, one of the ideas that you brought to them, but this is certainly a big idea, was this new to them? Was this something that maybe they sort of thought about on the surface but really hadn't dove in or the idea of this? Uh, You know, I think part of it is like a lot of times you find with clients is people know what they need to do. They just need somebody else who has more time to think it through. Right. So I think, you know, Feast is recognized. You know, we're a national scale food festival now. We're frequently... You know, in the press, we, we, we get a lot of national and even international mm-hmm. press, um, and we're recognized as being, you know, this this great festival. The first thing I would say is I think that's true because we, we do a festival that allows Portland to be Portland. Yeah. And a lot of that is just us being more hands-off and letting creative people be creative. Mm-hmm. So when people say, oh, you guys are so great, it's like, you know, we're, we're, we're we start with a very incredible um, place, you know, yeah. um, Portland and Oregon are inspiring places. People, you know, come here and they're inspired. And the fact that the food scene is is developed into something so good, you know, not only because of ingredients, but I think if you're a dreamer and you're a chef and you come here and you have access to the good ingredients and, you know, you go for a drive through the gorge and you see how inspiring that is, you're not going to make crappy bread. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know what you, you know, mean. you're not going to look at the Oregon coast and make like a, I mean, it's just, there's a certain sense of inspiration uh, here. Awe-inspiring. Yeah, exactly. So... Stepping back, before Feast came to be and you were consulting uh, for these other festivals, what were the pieces from those uh, events that you grabbed onto and thought and eventually used in Feast, or, or at least it sprouted the idea? It's so funny you say that because I, I, you know, there was probably some good things, but I also was lucky to work on a lot of really challenging projects. Yeah. And um, I learned... You know, because my whole thing was I, I developed this MO of like you could bring me into a project and I could turn something around that was, you know, challenged and make mm-hmm. it better. And you know, the older I get, the less I like working on projects like that because <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. But there is some gratification to it. I would say I learned what to do things. I had really good mentors and I think I learned that relationships fundamentally are the most important thing and that mm-hmm. um, you, you, you know, everyone is different and every place is different. So you really have to approach your subject matter, no matter what it is. If you're helping a restaurant, you're helping an event center, you're helping a festival very differently um, and really try to see it through their lens. But I think what I learned most from some of these other events is what not to do. Mm -hmm. You know, when I look back at a lot of my mentors, I think of like, okay, well, I learned a lot of good things, but I also learned a lot of things that I don't want to do. Yeah. And I'm sure people, you know, probably look at me in the same way. I think, you know, we knew what we didn't want to do. I would work on events that had been around for a while and everything has a cycle, you know, and sometimes I'd be at the end of the cycle and, you know, we would see like, okay, I, 
you know, here's what, here's where this went wrong. Yeah. And then you look like an event like the Aspen Food and Wine Classic has been around 35 years and it's still great. Things can stay relevant and cool for a long time. You just have to stay on top of it and, and know what the warning signs are. Yeah. And that's <laughs> been a theme for a lot of these podcast interviews yeah. as well with these industries that have lasted for so yep. long, whether it be a music millennium or a Powell's or, or, you know, what have you, is that adapting to change and knowing when to listen to new voices and, and inject some of that, uh, those new ideas into, into different events. So Feast has been going on for, it was, 2012, or yeah, 2012 was the first year. Yep. Prior to that, I mean, Alpha I, a great partner. Pardon me. Alpha is a great partner. Alpha is a great partner. Well, you know, we love food yeah. here, and and we love these creative events. Mm-hmm. Um, leading up to it, and I and I, from reading what uh, what you folks do, I know that once an event is done, which you guys just finished, wrapped yeah. up a month ago, you dive right back into the next one. But so for the first one, mm-hmm. what are you picturing in your head? What are you thinking you want to do? What was the end result of that first one, what you had, for the most part, pictured as you're planning it? Um, that's a good question. I think in general, like, this is one of the things I learned again and again, again is you're only as good as a team. Yes. So, and, and the other thing, too, is I would say, like, you know, there's the thing – it, with any team, there's a thing that you do, and that's the thing that you're known for. So, you know, if, if people who know me in the industry might be like, oh, Mike is the, you know, he's the sponsorship guy or the, you know, and then, you know, they would say, oh, Carrie, you know, she's the marketing PR person and Emily's the director. and But that's the superficial part of, of it all. I mean, it's all important, but mm-hmm. I think the other part of it is like I, I'm good – from a very big picture standpoint of seeing how all these organizations fit together. And it's very clear in my head. And that's, I think that's my gift. Yes. Carrie, my partner is great at her job, great marketing and PR person, but her gift is also, she's always the person who knows like, okay, we need this team element. There need, we need this agency. We need this, you know, so she's really good at the, you know, very good HR people instincts. And, you know, then, Everyone else on the team fills in their own needs as well. Like Emily is a phenomenal, phenomenally gifted operator. And, you know, Janie's good at, at a lot of things. You know, she's good at the technology side, the, you know, anything from HR compliance to making sure the taxes get done. So the thing that I see with teams that do well is when you, you I think naturally as humans, we gravitate toward people who are just like us. And that is a disaster. <laughs> and when people come together that bring complementary skill sets, the sky is the limit. Yeah. So that's a long way of saying that uh, the success of Feast has vastly overperformed anything I could have seen in my head. Because yeah. had it just been me, it wouldn't have been like that. You know, right. it's like, you know, it was, and had right. I think any of the other people had just started on their own, it wouldn't. It was truly a case of the right people coming together mm-hmm. at a perfect time. I also don't want to take out of the equation, you know, people like um, Bruce Silverman with Whole Foods Market and at the time. And now he's with Provador. He has mm-hmm. Provador with Kay and Kevin, amazing little store. Um, also, uh, you know, Holly McPhee and Todd Davidson and all of that crew, at uh, Kevin Wright at Travel Oregon and Jeff Miller at Travel Portland. I mean, I feel like in 2011, the, the, the idea of a, of a major sort of food festival that, was, that would bring to life what we all were excited about and living here, it was sort of in the air for the taking. Mm-hmm. It was just our job to kind of piece it together. And luckily, we had the team that could do it. And then we found as we worked together that 
you know, we were able to do more together than we had, could ever possibly imagine on our own. And and with your, your previous consulting business, that would have given you the opportunity to see the right people that you knew had the talents and yeah. the skills to put all this together. But I wouldn't say that identifying people was a skill that I learned. It might have been intuitive, though. Well, I would say that. I learned from my partners. Yeah. You know, I would say, I'm not, I'm going to give Carrie more credit than me in terms of, you know, identifying, you know, the, the right players. I would say now we've all learned from each other. And, you know, now we, we, you know, now it's more a matter of necessity. We get so busy. We're like, you know, we need people, you know, year one, it was, there was a lot of foresight to, you know, bringing on the right people, but it was also, you know, literally there were times where we're like, okay, you have a pulse and you speak, <laughs> you know, you speak pretty well. So do you want a job? I mean, it wasn't quite like that, right. but that's sort of how startups are. Yeah. And then, you know, now we have the luxury to be a little bit more proactive about team building. But I would say, you know, team building, you know, I would say, and anyone who's ever worked with me would have said this too. In 2010, 2011, I, was, I went through life like a lone wolf. And, you know, I, I you know, um, just, um, I think probably at a certain point in my youth thought that, you know, oh, I, all these things are successful because I'm involved. <laughs> and, and I think, and I know a lot of people who think that, and as you get older, you realize that like, no, you know, if you're a vision person, you have to surround yourself with people who know process. Mm -hmm. If you're a process person, you need vision people. Everyone needs a good operator. And like, you know, this notion that you're, everyone, you know, people succeed because, just because of them is just, you, you are, you know, it's like you are only, anybody who watches sports knows you're only as good as your teammates. Absolutely. So, um, and I, and I would fully say like, I, I've started, you know, through experience, been able to think more from a team perspective, but that's not, that was not my instinct at all. I learned that from my team. Yeah. The first year of Feast, were you laying the groundwork for a, a festival to be decades long you know were, were you mindful of that as you're putting it together i think yes in the way we dealt with people i think mm -hmm. you know we we wanted something that would be around obviously for a while mm -hmm. and we also wanted something that spoke to a deeper understanding of portland and oregon than what was on a top 10 list in a magazine you know mm -hmm. you know it's interesting because in the food world anybody who's a chef or you, you sort of live and die by press in a way because, you know, it, it, it carries the narrative. And I would say that press, the aggregate of press, it's sort of like the – any chef listening is going to hate me for saying this, but it's sort of like the aggregate of a Yelp review. You know, it's like if you have a 1,000 Yelp reviews and you have like two stars, it's probably pretty consistent that maybe there's some work that needs to be done. Now, the, the sort of um, – you know, the, 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 the writing style, the delivery, I mean, that's kind of a little, you know, and plus yeah. the fact that anybody who, who has an internet connection is mm -hmm. not meant to be a critic. Right. But um, we were not trying to create something just for the sake of the immediate gratification of press. We knew we needed it, and luckily, you know, Carrie had some incredible connections. I had a few good connections as well. But um, we wanted to create something, and I think we knew that to make – 
feast of success. It needed to be something that was just had more longevity and had a little bit more soul that spoke mm-hmm. to the place that wasn't just about the hottest, newest restaurant, but is also about, you know, why are restaurants in Oregon good? You know, let's talk about salmon. Let's talk about crab. Let's talk about beef from Eastern Oregon. Let's talk, you know, and, and really try to approach the entirety of the story, which is a challenge because there are certain narratives that people gravitate toward. Right. But, um, you know, we, we definitely had a long-term vision and, we knew that we could achieve that by focusing on the soul and mm-hmm. not just whatever the, you know, whatever the fleeting. Yeah, trend was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and th- you know, but don't get me wrong. Like when, you know, we, when we're included on some top 10 list, I'm, I'm ecstatic. I <laughs> yes. love that. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and our team is really good at, at making a lot of that happen. Yeah. What were your favorite uh, events from the first year and what did you quickly realize wasn't going to work? Hmm. Okay. It's so interesting because like, when you create any business, I, I love the Steve Jobs quote that said, you know, like people don't know what they want until we show it to them, which is such a, just a kind of a arrogant thing to say. But there is something like there are certain businesses that need to deliver according to, you know, you're, you're, you're saying, okay, well, let's look at the marketplace and let's see what's out there. And we need to deliver something, you know, and, and, and there's certain businesses that, that are like that. I think that festivals aren't like that. Music is not like that. Like nothing creative comes from a committee and I do think in the early years we there were certain events that we said hey we need to do this sort of event because you know we need something for fill in the blank demographic Mm -hmm. and you know we did an event for the first few years called high comfort we did it year one at the Mac club they were great Philippe below one of the nicest people totally hosted us it was great it was a dress-up event Mm -hmm. you know it was a more expensive ticket price it was where you had expensive champagne and expensive wines and you know it was fun but it didn't feel like us and you know there's also a lot of opportunities to go to events like that and Mm -hmm. and already so but that was us trying to come up with a hey let's do this for you know we thought a more upscale clientele right but you know the thing that you don't realize is like People in Portland like to go to restaurants, people from all demographics, because of how they feel. Like I went to Kochka on Friday night and, you know, it's an event. It's not a it's not an inexpensive restaurant, but the experience is just incredible. And, yeah. you know, Le Pigeon, same thing. Or, you know, even a, even Pock Pock, you know, these are places that you're, you're, you're being treated to just a, a, a restaurant that has a very distinct point of view. It's like, you know, Portland restaurants, um, the best restaurants are it's like being in the inside of someone's head. You know, it reflects their travels and their, their, their whimsy and, and their, you know, talent and the food that they love as well, of course. Mm-hmm. But we wanted an event that was kind of the same way. And I yeah. think the more we've moved um, along being eight years in, I think we you don't hear that in the office anymore. Well, what about this demographic? It's like, no, when we come up with a good idea and we have the confidence to execute it, or when a chef especially, you know, we, we talk to a lot of the chefs and have them pitch us ideas – when they're excited about an event, that's when we win. Yeah. But when we every time that we've done an event that hasn't been successful, it's been because we've been trying to think what is you know what are we missing here? You know, it just doesn't work. It's not true to the. I don't want to say the mission, but yeah. true to who you are as an organization. Yeah. And as a festival. Yeah. The idea to donate money to mm-hmm. to have this be a fundraiser. You've already donated close to four hundred thousand dollars. Actually, now Is over. It more? Well, after this year, yeah. we haven't released our numbers yet, but we'll be about 
440 after this year. So I'm getting inching up on a half million. And that's fantastic. And I have to say, there's no big company behind us. You know, we're yeah. not, you know, it's something that we, we take very seriously and we, yeah. want, we want to continue to do. Well, and I love that the money goes to folks who are uh, food insecure. Yeah. So it goes to Partners for a Hunger-Free Oregon, yep. and they support uh, childhood hunger. So yep. the free breakfast and lunch mm-hmm. at schools and summer programs, yep. and that's, that's huge. And then also Urban Gleaners, yep. which is an organization that I love as well. Yep. Good and people. Both really, of them are all good people. Yeah, absolutely. You're listening to King's Portland 50 series. I'll continue my conversation with Mike Thielen in a moment, but I wanted to thank our sponsor. The Portland 50 series is presented by Jaguar Land Rover Portland. One company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution serving our community since 1950. Now back to my conversation with Mike Thielen. Mike is a former food writer and contributor to Willamette Week and Portland Monthly. In 2012, he co-founded Feast Portland with his partner, Carrie Welch. Now approaching its eighth year, Feast Portland frequently sells out and is one of Portland's most popular events. Was that an idea early on, too, that we're celebrating food and beverages from Oregon and we want to then you know, do something good with this. Sure. I mean, I think the first thing I would say is it's not really a fundraiser because if the sole purpose of Feast was to just donate to charity, we probably wouldn't fly in 40 media. We probably wouldn't bring in, you know, so I would say like what we try to do is like, there's just, there's like several things we do. One thing is we celebrate all the things that make Portland and Oregon really cool. And in doing that, you know, we invite people from around the country because, you know, we want them to love this place too. And, and one of the greatest pieces of gratification is to go into restaurants around the country, the people we've invited to feast and see the fact that they have Oregon wines on their list or they're using Oregon beef or they're using, we love that. Yes. So that, that's sort of our sort of secret, you know, um, diabolical plan of attack is like, we're trying to like really push Oregon ingredients yeah. and, and Oregon as, you know, as something that, you know, so people are supporting what we do. Um, the charity piece we felt was, important because if we're going to do this, we need to feel that we, we are calling to light the contradiction of the fact we live in this incredibly agriculturally rich and diverse state, and yet it has one of the worst hunger rates in the country. And that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't always see it here in Portland. If you do, if you go East Portland, mm-hmm. um, hunger is a lot closer to people than they think. And then there's a lot of you know impoverished communities throughout the state. And you know I think we wanted to a highlight that contradiction. Like, mm-hmm. how can you, you know? And we weren't afraid to address it. Yeah. So, you know, we that was really an important thing. The reason why we chose those charities, we we felt like hunger relief. That makes a lot of sense. But we did early on think about it, a lot of different types of charities. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of things we love in Portland. At one point, we even talked about starting our own charity, really? to which our attorney said, "Do you guys want to run a charity? Yeah. Do you want to run a festival? Because right. that's two very different things." But we decided that, you know, I mean, far and away that hunger was, childhood hunger especially, was one of the things we wanted to focus on. And, you know, that was in no small part, too, to Carrie um, at Food Network. She worked with, um, you know, New York City Wine and Food and was very instrumental at kind of getting that whole festival going. And that um, media partner was Food Network, where she worked. Mm-hmm. So um, very involved in the charity side. And they had donated a lot of money. 
um, to charity. Like to, this is a huge festival. It's like to the tune of like a million a year. Um, they're a lot bigger than Feast. Um, New York's also a very different city, a lot bigger and more money. You know, so that was the the issue that she was very passionate about and I think, you know, wanted to continue. We also in the early days worked with um, Share Our Strength, which is a national mm-hmm. organization. And then after uh, five years, they were great. We just decided with all of the food insecurity in Oregon that we wanted to make sure that all the money being raised by feast was going and staying in Oregon. Yeah. So a couple of years ago, we just decided to keep it all local. Yeah. And that's an Im- important element to celebrates Oregon and it helps Oregon. Yep. Uh, which makes it a nice full circle. Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, empowerment is important to us. You know, we want, we work really hard to like for us, you know, this year, Gabe Rucker reached out from Le Pigeon and, you know, wanted to do this event where, you know, he said he, Gabe is sober, has lived a life of sobriety, yeah. and this is kind of a growing trend within the chef community. I think not, you know, people who want to challenge the the notion that chefs are these hard-drinking, hard-partying people. I mean, pop culture has certainly propagated that, and it's not always true. And, you know, Gabe, um, who's been sober for a few years, reached out, and he said, I want to do this dinner highlighting this movement. And, mm-hmm. you know, he – and. W- you know, through his connections, you know, we invited Andrew Zimmern from TV. And Michael Solomonov came, who's from mm. Philly. He's, he usually is here and, and a real good supporter and friend of ours. Um, Sean Brock, who hadn't been back in a few years, and Greg Gorday, and then Evan Zimmerman, who's a bartender who's sober, who uh, was in Portland and had moved to the East Coast. This whole thing came together, and it, we first of all, I couldn't believe that all these chefs were of that caliber were able to come to a dinner together. Yeah. And there was so much incredible positive press surrounding it. And we were so happy that it, it wasn't like for us, yes, we like it when the press says nice things about us, but where the real win is, is when we are able, when our team is able to work with chefs or work with people to create programming that reflects and honors what's important to that community. Yeah. And then as a result, there's press about the movement. You know, mm-hmm. Quartz did an article, an interview with Andrew Zimmer on sobriety, and you know, Bon Appetit and Healthyish did this really incredible article. And you know, there was even Food and Wine, which is you know Bon Appetit's biggest competitor, wrote about it. So you know, Karen Brooks from Portland Monthly wrote about it. And for us, it was just like, wow, you know, we. We're able to work with these chefs to bring together this community, us being not the visionaries here, us yeah. being basically the traffic coordinators. Yeah. And it was, you know, through the press connections that came, Feast was this was able to, as a community, the chefs, the media, shine light on an issue. Yeah. And an, that, an authentic yeah. uh, issue for, yeah. for these folks. So it's another example of like, you know, if you're in the festival community, like, the, the idea is like you're building a playground everyone can play in. That is your job. Yeah. And then you learn to really get excited about what comes from that community. That's what's really exciting. So, yes, it's nice to have nice words about the festival. We love that. But it's just so meaningful when you see or read or hear press that is, you know, reflects what that community that we hope to represent well values. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As I mentioned earlier, the most recent event wrapped up September yep. 13th through the 16th. Yep. And uh, you had a number of events going on this year. I'm going to mention 
most of them. Yep. Uh, the 80s versus 90s yep. chef team competition with 18 chefs. Uh, Grand tasting. You had yep. 80 vendors there. Night market. Yep. Uh, Ring of fire. That sounded pretty good. Yep. Uh, smoked brunch village. Uh, drink table events. And then some fun size events. Mm-hmm. And this is across the city. I mean, you're at Zydell Yards. Yep. You're at Memorial Coliseum. You're at Pioneer Courthouse mm-hmm. Square. That adds another element of coordination and yeah. organization and and that sort of thing. It would be a heck of a lot easier if we did what other <laughs> events did and just put a big old tent yeah. somewhere and did – you know. but, yeah, we, we a lot of what we want to do is showcase our region and our city. Yeah. So sometimes we pick venues based on their view of Mount Hood. I'm not kidding. I mean, uh, I wish I, you know, I believe just, you. <laughs> you know, it's just uh, you know, and, and and us trying to tell that story, a uh, linking like you know, or Portland to the rest of the state and the rest yeah. of the region. For us, you know, we we do the grand tasting in Pioneer Square, and you know, we that's great. It's Portland's living room. We say we like to turn it to Portland's dining room for a couple of days, um, and then you know, Zydell Yards is such you know that's such a cool view, and their story is so cool. If people take time to mm-hmm. you know look into that. Um, yeah, it's incredible always to work with the trailblazers and, you know, they, they're amazing and work with us on, you know, securing the venue right there in front of the Memorial Coliseum. Yeah. We're just very lucky to be able to work with a lot of different entities in town, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and, you know, our venue search is, takes so many things into consideration. We just want to show off. We want people to love where we live. That's our main, our main objective. And and the coordination too with is this spot available on this day at this time? You know, what else is going it's insane. on? insane. Yeah, especially at the square because they have so many things yeah. going on. And, and I'll be the first to say our director, Emily Crowley, she's the, the lead point on that, you know, and she's already in meetings for next year. And, you know, and it's some, t- some venues are, are, you know, easy. Some are hard for different reasons. Some, some venues come with, you know, power and hardscaping and, you know, it's all ready to go. And some of them, you basically have to build the infrastructure. And, you know, some dinners you do come with a full staff and a full kitchen. Other events, you have to build the kitchen. So, mm-hmm. you know, everything, every event is kind of its own animal. And I will say this, every year we make the promise, this is the year we're going to make it easier. And, just, <laughs> and you know, then usually we're seduced by some crazy fun idea. Mm-hmm. So um, we just, you know, as we grow, try not to be seduced by too many crazy fun ideas. Because <laughs> I'll be the first to admit that I'll, I'm the one that gets seduced by every crazy fun <laughs> idea. So, you know. Which one of these bigger events were your favorite this year? Good question. Um, well, the versus event, the 80s versus 90s, the, yeah. the, the idea behind that is that we would have that event. It would change every year and it would be this versus that every year. Mm-hmm. So we probably won't do that event again next year. Uh, right, be, not the 80s versus 90s, but a versus you know, event. Yeah, no. Seattle versus Portland right. or, you know, East Coast versus West Coast. Or the joke is we would do Texas barbecue versus Kansas City, but we couldn't afford the security for that. <laughs> um, barbecue is like religion in those mm-hmm. places. Um, you know, and, and that, that would – so that's super fun, I think. It was cool to see the chefs really get into it. Like yeah. they had costumes. And did you go to that event? I didn't. I, I looked at yeah. the video. I watched there are a number of videos on yeah. your website. I, I looked at yeah. those. Those that look like fun. Videos are fun. And, and our even our like you know our staff, our judging staff yeah. was like really cool. Like you know we with we the judges included people, everyone from like you know uh, Leanna Creel from who was on Saved by the Bell to you know <laughs> Carney Wilson of Wilson Phillips and you know so that was fun. Um, I would say you know I'm. My favorite event is smoked. Yeah. You know, and that was an event I, after, you know, I mentioned we used to do the kind of adult prom event and we decided, you know, we need to do, it's, it's September, all of our big events should be outdoors. Let's, mm-hmm. let's move in that direction. 
So we launched this event in the Fields Park in the North Pearl District, Chefs Cooking Over Open Flame. And that was 2015, so we've done four of those now. Um, that event is just really special for a number of reasons. It's it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It showcases a piece of Portland that a lot of people don't know. Yeah, It's so funny how people who don't really know Portland love to just blast the pearl. And they don't realize that the pearl was like created by... Homer Williams. Some, yeah, exactly. Some of the most, you know, it's, and, and also they don't remember what it was before. Exactly. You know, so. All you, the old, yes. You don't hear one native Portlander talking smack about the Pearl. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not, you know, I I probably wouldn't live there compared to other neighborhoods in town, but right. it's, it's a dynamic place. And if you compare it to other new neighborhoods like mm-hmm. Belltown in Seattle, or if you compare it to Lodo in Denver, like there's a patina to it that is rare for such a young neighborhood. Yeah. I also remember uh, being 17 years old, telling my mother that I was going to a friend's house and then driving to Powell's because I was the dork who like lied to his mom to go go to Powell's. <laughs> and I parked in front of the, um, the what is now the Girding Theater, what was then just the armory, which was a boarded up building painted white. Mm-hmm. And as I was parked there, uh, one of those rail cars, remember they would just like roll through? Yes. Hem me in. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't get out. It wasn't moving. I had to find a payphone to try to call my mom because, of course, you know, this was 1994, mm-hmm. no cells. You know, and it just – that story sticks out to, like, you know, the Pearl was – there was nothing going on there. Nothing. And, and you would be afraid to walk because yeah. I lived in Northwest at the mm-hmm. time, and we would walk down there yeah. for the art uh, mm-hmm. galleries and, and such. And and I, I think there are many more layers in Pearl District, particularly when it first yeah. started. But there are so many more layers there, and the park is one of them. Well, and all those parks, you know, and the way they link together, and the way you go, you know, down Tenth or Eleventh Avenue, and you know, there's those, you know, those cool the totem poles. Like that was really that was a, I mean, that was a big get, mm-hmm. and you know, Jameson Square and how it attracts families, and the Pearl is not is easily defined as, as people want to say, like it is a, is it, it's an interesting, I think a good example of, you know, new urbanism. And I actually, you know, so you're at feast, you're in, you know, downtown, we do industry parties in the central East side. We want to get people around. You go to Zydell Yard, you kind of see the future of Portland. You mm-hmm. see the, you know, the beautiful Tillicum bridge. We, you know, we, we really try to get people around. One year we even did an after party up at the um, Skyline Tavern. Um, everyone's Uber, uh, you know, charges were off the charts and, you know, it was crazy. But, um, you know, then you go to the Pearl District and I, I like the thought of people walking from downtown on 10th Avenue just to see like, you know, the, the sort of, it's kind of the story of Portland there, you know, walking past the Ecotrust building and, you know, it was one of, that was a landmark building. Yeah. Um, you're walking past all of these parks and then it culminates, you're looking at the Fremont Bridge, which is, you know, this historically relevant, significant bridge. It's beautiful and impressive. One of the greatest bridges in the world. And and you're 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 eating like incredible food. So we think about that all the time. And it's the best time of the year in September oh, yeah. too. Yeah. This yeah. year we kind of flirted with disaster all weekend, but the rain never came. Um, somebody on our team sold their soul. So uh, thank you somebody. <laughs> Whoever it was. Yeah. So you had these small events too, the fun size events. Yeah. Uh, healthy ish, five K ish. Uh, Whose idea was that? Ben Jacobson's. Yeah, so uh, Ben Jacobson and Andrew Knowlton from Bon Appetit dreamt that up. They did it as an unofficial event last year. And then this year, Bon App said we want that to be an official event. And what that means is so they can bring in partners and, you know, make it a little bit bigger. And 
boy, did we learn how hard it was to do a 5K. <laughs> like, you yes. know, permitting. Right. You know, we have to have all these volunteers. You know, it's so funny, but we today we went over our survey results, and that was, like, by far the f- people who attended it just love that event. Really? So, um, so you'll be doing it again next year. You, yeah, we like the wellness thing, you know. Yeah. Like, like I always think it's funny, like, you know, I'm, I'm usually vocal, and, you know, no one has ever accused me of, like, not – I mean, my opinion is, is – you, you know, it's pretty free <laughs> for better or for worse. But, you know, I, I like I always thought it was funny when, you know, you see events that are like yoga and champagne. I'm just like, oh, those things don't go together. <laughs> but but um, a 5K does because yes. um, after, you know, you're out at Feast. Now, Feast is not this decadent, crazy party that a lot of, right. you know, like that Willamette Week says it is. Actually, I love the way they write about it. But, you know, it's. And you're those, not gorging yourself. No. You you're know, and sampling. Most, most people go to one event. Yeah. And, you know, and, and it's not, you know, I suppose there, there could be some gluttony to it. But even the industry, they know how to behave. You know, it's like if you're in an industry party and there's unlimited food and drink, like, you know, people in the industry go to these events all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's not as if things get crazy. Um, you know, and we, we also, we don't plan anything official too late just to, you know, we, we kind of let people do their own thing. We don't want to encourage mm-hmm. any excess. Yeah. Um, but it's nice to do an event where, you know, it's like you're able to like go run, sweat out. For me, it's like I actually run it every year and I'm not yeah. even a runner. Um, and then I wonder, God, why don't I run all the time? Because I'm usually so tired by the time you know, Saturday hits, and then I run, and it's so energizing. Yeah. So. Well, and, and, and come on, Portland is a perfect place for a 5K-ish um, because mm-hmm. there are so many people who, you know, love to be outdoors. They love to run. They love to walk. And I'm glad you said that because as we were running across the Tillicum Bridge, and I was actually running with Ben Jacobson for half of that, and then I, I across the Tillicum, and then I was running with somebody who was from out of town, and there's something in all of us. There's like that tour guide where yeah. you, you know, I think people in Portland, people everywhere love where they live. Mm-hmm. Everyone loves people in Norman, Oklahoma. They love where they live. Yes. And, you know, you, there's this desire. You want to show people your life. Mm-hmm. And there's something about, you know, when a friend comes to town and you're, you're, you want them to see that amazing view of Mount Hood that you love. But then somehow when they're standing next to you, that view just becomes 10 times better for some reason. Do you know that feeling? Yeah, absolutely. Or the rest of the gorge and all of a sudden Multnomah Falls is just this, I mean, not that it's not a magical wonder anyway. But but. you're experiencing it through them. And I Mm -hmm. think in us, all of us at Team Feast is this sort of tour guide. And I think there is a sort of high that comes from us being able to be fortunate enough to tell that story mm-hmm. every year and, and and really try to highlight things and people and places that we love and that make the city unique. And and I, I would say, you know, it's interesting because, you know, right now there's this kind of undercurrent of old Portland and new Portland and, you know, there there's all this change. And, and I you know, I think cities grow and that's what's happening. And it's not just a Portland thing. It's a Denver yeah. thing. It's a Seattle thing. It's a New York thing. People yeah are moving back into cities and it's changing cities and it's making them less affordable. And I think we need to fight and defend the things we care about, but we, that it's futile to fight growth. You have to figure out how do you save the things and protect the things within that growth? And that means, you know, how do you make housing more affordable? That's important. You know, how do you not create what they did in San Francisco, which is basically, you know, you have some of the most strict housing laws in the country and the most unaffordable real estate. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you sh- anyone who's like half smart could put those those two things together. Yeah. Like, how can we make sure that people who are creative can still live here? How can we make sure that, you know, let's not get in a, a fight to save parking lots. How do we save food carts? Mm-hmm. You know, where can we put them? I mean, they have wheels. Yes. You know, so I think the next chapter of Portland is going to be we need to start focusing on how do we preserve the things that we love rather than how do we fight change. You're not going to win that fight. No, and no one ever has. No. And so, and that again is a theme for, for these interviews that I've mm-hmm. had. Yes, Portland is changing. Yes, we mourn the things that we love yeah. that are gone. And you should fight for those things. Right. And what, what, what do we have here that we want to keep and yep. preserve that make us unique? And, right. and yes, that's absolutely it. You, you know, don't fight what you can't win. Preserve what you can. Yeah. I mean, I live in Sunnyside. So do I. Oh, do you? Yes. Oh. When you mentioned Belmont, I was like. Okay. So I love Sunnyside because Sunnyside, Belmont has not changed one lick. Yeah, really. Not you know? much. I mean, it, it just, and it, it it's like people are like, so what's with Sunnyside? Well, it's old Portland and you can walk to new Portland. Yes. You know, so. Um, Port, uh, People's Republic of Portland. That's yeah. what Sunnyside is. Yeah. I love Sunnyside. But it's so friendly and it's yes. like, it's you know, an, It's a Midwest neighborhood. Yep. But it's also kind of a little ecotopia, you know, and the thing that I love, like, um, I love the idealism of Portland. I thrive on it. Like, I love, you know, when people say keep Portland weird, I mean, it's really like, you know, people forget, like, you know, on the small scale, there's a lot of things that Portlanders love to do to contribute. And this is a city that is full of activists and people who care. And that's what makes it worth living in. On the grander scale, that has translated to a hell of a lot of things that we've exported. And, you know, mm-hmm. for example, Oregon Tilth here in Oregon, the what became national and international standards for organic food was sort of dreamt up here. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there was also um, a lot of the green building regulations and, you know, what became LEED certification were, were things that were dreamt up here until, you know, the early 2000s. Portland had more uh, LEED certified buildings by number, not per capita, but by number than any place in the country. And I feel you know, Robert Reynolds, who was one of my mentors, who was a chef, would always say that Portland and Oregon are think tanks, you know, we're, we're idea places. And Portland supports that. And yeah. that's what I hope we never lose is yeah. that Portland supports folks like yeah. you and many of the people I've talked to who have these fantastic ideas. Mm-hmm. And yes, maybe they're a little out here or a little out there. But it's that passion, and and yep. and that's why I think Portland has become such a great incubator for so many different people. And I think all the reason why, like you know, Portland, as it continues to grow, needs to be advocates for really good ideas. Yeah. You know, and and you know, it's been a while. I think civically, we're in a weird place right now, and I don't blame any politician for that. I would not want to have Ted Wheeler's job right now. It's like the most contentious time. You know, and it's like, I feel sorry for that guy. It's like, yeah. you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't, <laughs> you yeah. know? And so I, I have to say, like, you know, it's a hard time. I think civically the way that our system is set up is challenging too. There, there's a lot of debate, which is good, but sometimes it, it hamstrings us to have basically, we have essentially five mayors. Yeah. The mayor doesn't have a whole lot more power than the than the counselors. You know, so there are things that are inherently challenging, but also maybe are also good. But I do think, like, as we as a city move forward, we need to make sure that we remain champions for good ideas. And we don't lump everything into just one bucket. Like, you know, we don't like big development. Okay, well, what don't you like about it? Let's get rid of what we don't like about it. Mm -hmm. And also let's do as much as we can to support local. 
you know, like one of the big challenges I was in a, at a <laughs> this has made me sick, but you know, I was at a, at a function in New York about two years ago and I ran into a developer who had only been to Portland once, but was buying all this land there because he saw oh, it's the best place to build in the nation. He's like, it's so cheap and you can get big rents. And I'm just like, okay, he has the right to do that. And it's hard to police that, but I would rather see us empowering people who have really good ideas, who are local, who understand the community. I mean, there is you, there are certain expectations as a growing city. You can't expect that everything's always going to be local. But for everyone who's just coming in and doing that, and that again, they have every right to do that, we, we also need to think about, okay, how do we build things that make our neighborhood better? Mm-hmm. And I feel that luckily the majority of, the, of people in Portland – well, maybe not the majority, but there's a lot of people who are doing great things, you know, like yeah. Homer Williams or yeah. like the Molson family and beam development. We have really good examples of good neighborhood development. Yeah. Um, we need to support the better ideas and figure out how to, how do we keep this place affordable? Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to talk about, you know, you finished up on a, was it a Sunday that you finished up Sunday, on? Sunday, yeah. Sunday the 16th. I was tired. Uh, I would, I, I would bet. And at what point did you start planning for feast 2019? before probably July or June. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So, you know, we, what we do is, you know, there's certain ideas you have and you just have to start queuing it up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're already well underway. Do you give an example of, like, how we, you know, it's like we're, we're already talking to some chefs about, you know, I'm meeting with Greg Gorday tomorrow and he has an idea that he, we wants we want to talk about for a cool uh, dinner. And, you know, we there's this big link right now between the United Kingdom and Portland. You know, we have a direct flight to London now. The Hoxton Hotel is opening here and is engaging with, um, you know, Joshua McFadden from Ava Jeans and Tusk to do, you know, some cool restaurants. And, you know, so th- those are the sorts of things we're like, hey, let's talk to chefs. Let's also figure out what's going on. And, you know, let's celebrate those connections. Yeah. Pretty cool that there's a direct flight to London. I didn't realize that. Yeah. So, so that's how we're starting to think so yeah. you know we're talking to these various entities and figuring out like how can we bring some of these connections alive during feast next year and you know the other place travel portland and has been great um with with that every time there's a direct flight uh, we've been able to work with them to highlight that connection this year um we did a dinner with elena regattas who is a top chef in mexico city because mm-hmm. there's a direct flight now to mexico city if you have not been it will blow your mind it's the coolest city so yeah. cosmopolitan and just so awesome incredible art incredible food i would imagine next year we'll probably do more this will be the third year in a row where we've we brought in chefs from mexico city uh-huh. um you know but just highlighting those types of places you know portugal is a place right now if you look at people's instagram and facebook feeds and food everyone is going to lisbon and porto right now there's just this influx and you know we're talking to some folks to do some programming you know it celebrates the Portuguese influence on global food, which is huge because mm-hmm. as traders, you know, they, they, it's interesting. They, they were so influential, um, in food, but you don't always see it in their food more as traders. Like you see, like, for example, Portuguese and Spanish brought a lot of hot peppers from Mexico to Thailand and places like that. And it's like why certain spicy flavor profiles exist in the Southeast Asia because of the Portuguese, mm. um, you know, tempura they introduced to Japan, um, you know, tea they introduced to India, you know, because after the Delhi Sultanate and, bef- Sultanate and before the English, the Portuguese, you know, for a, a hot minute kind of ruled the world oh. um, because they were the first who learned how to mount cannon on on ship so you know they could they kind of you know basically <laughs> kicked everyone's ass for about 100 years right. 
much more brutal time back then. Uh, maybe not. Um, but, you know, so those are the sorts of stories we love to explore. We're mm-hmm. like, okay, how can we bring together a group of chefs, a group of people to tell a story that maybe people didn't already know? Then if uh, six months later I see a you know chef in Portland who did a, a dinner with a, a chef who was visiting, I see them in, in their country hanging out. I'm like, that's amazing. Yeah. That's what we want. Exactly. So, you know, trying to make Portland still be Portland, but also make, make the world feel a little closer. Any new venues you're looking at that you can talk about? Not that we can talk about. Okay. But, you we'll know, have to we, stay tuned. Yeah. So that, yeah, I don't want to rain on, I want to rain on Emily's parade. Yep. But, you know, we're researching um, venues right now. You know, for us, we've always approached growth as an organic thing. We've never mm-hmm. thought about growth for the sake of growing. But there's mm-hmm. a few play, few areas where we could stand to have a little more breathing room. Almost every event sells out now. Um, so we're always just trying to make it better. Yeah. And uh, June-ish is when uh, the announcements will be made. Tickets go on sale. Yeah. We actually are de- we were debating that this morning. So All right. know, June or late May. All right. So, so we'll stay tuned. We, we don't, we'll announce that soon. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Mike, so much for coming in today. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me for my conversation with Mike Thielen. If you've missed any of the previous podcasts, you can find them at our website at kink.fm. Be sure to like and subscribe to the Portland 50 podcast wherever you're listening. The Portland 50 is a podcast series celebrating Kink's 50th anniversary, and it's about the people who dreamt, built, and championed the innovation, growth, and uniqueness of Portland. The series is presented by Jaguar Land Rover Portland, one company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land River Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution serving our community since 1950.